0: Welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. I'm Vince Leo. I am the author of the film review website called Quipster.net. I do film reviews of all eras, not just the 1980s. In fact, I do another podcast that covers more recent movies that are out in theaters, VOD, or streaming services. And you can find a link to that on my website. It's called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. I invite you to check that out. If you want to listen to any of the reviews of films that I looked at over the last four or five years... Quipster.net is where to go. Today, I'm going to be getting into the first of a three-part series looking at films of the 1980s that are set partially or fully somewhere else in the solar system besides Earth. Now, the film I'm going to be talking about today did not come out in the 1980s. In fact, it came out in 1990, although some people will say 1990 is really part of the 1980s because if you start time, if you start with year one the end of that decade is really year 10. And if you project that forward, 1981 should technically be the 1980s, 1990, the last year of that decade. But I tend to go by films that start with 198 in the year. 1990 is just outside of it. However, when there is a movie that comes up that fits in with what I'm talking about, whether it's a sequel to something from the 1980s or it just fits in thematically with what I'm going to be talking about here. And it's something that I really want to do then I'm going to do that for this podcast because this film actually should have been released actually multiple times throughout the 1980s. In fact, it started in the 1970s, the idea for this movie, and it finally, after development hell after development hell, was released in 1990. And that film I'm going to be talking about today is Total Recall. Total Recall is an R-rated film. It does have very pervasive graphic violence, has strong language, has sexuality and brief nudity. The runtime is an hour and 53 minutes. Arnold Schwarzenegger is the main star. Rachel Ticketin, Sharon Stone, Michael Ironside, Ronnie Cox, and Mel Johnson Jr. are in this film. Paul Verhoeven is the director and the screenplay credited to Ron Chassette, Dan O'Bannon, and Gary Goldman. Now, the idea for Total Recall began after screenwriter Ronald Chassette. He had a feature screenplay effort come out in 1974 called W. Now, that film had gone awry on him. In fact, it got rewritten, and he was kind of licking his wounds. He was looking to start anew. So Chassette found this short story that he wanted to adapt into a feature film. It was from Philip K. Dick, and it was called We Can Remember It For You Wholesale. And he read that within the April 1966 issue, where it first appeared, of the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. If you listened last week to my podcast on They Live, you know that that film also started out from a short story within the pages of that very magazine. Now, this futuristic story involves a man named Douglas Quayle who has a vacation to Mars implanted into his brain. He doesn't actually go there, but they want to put the memory into his brain that he actually did go there. It's much cheaper, and it definitely is less dangerous. Now, surgeons, they start implanting the memory into his brain, and they discover that Quail actually has a previous memory of being there as a secret agent. There's a lot more to the story than that. It's a very short story, so if you want to check that out, I do encourage you to read the rest of that. Now, Chassette began writing a screenplay adaptation of that story, but he could only get so far because this was only 20 pages long and it didn't really have enough in it to sustain a feature film. So he needed to come up with Acts 2 and 3, on his own to fabricate what might happen after that short story takes place. Now, during this time, Chassette, he went to the movies and he enjoyed this science fiction comedy called Dark Star. Now, I talked about John Carpenter last week for They Live. Well, Dark Star was his first directorial effort. It came out in 1974 as well, and it was co-written by Dan O'Bannon. Now, after optioning the Philip K. Dick story for only $1,000... Dick was not known very well, at least until they started doing adaptations of his stories into movies. Chassette called O'Bannon and he proposed a collaboration on the Dick story if he was available. Now, in their meeting, O'Bannon said that he would help Chassette in exchange for help with a screenplay of his own. He was stuck on a screenplay for something called Starbeast. Now, they worked together on Starbeast and they completed that in 1976. And then they sold it to a studio and it became, in 1979, a pretty big hit. But it was not called Star Starbeast at that time. It was called Alien. You can go back to my podcast on Alien as to how that was made. After they were done writing what would become Alien, they tackled the Philip K. Dick adaptation, and they invited some help because they were stuck on the third act. They didn't know how to end this film. They invited screenwriter John Paville. Paville contributed such things as a character named Melina, the Martian resistance, and some psychic and spiritual elements to the film. And they titled this new screenplay Total Recall. Now, by the way, that is what Chissette calls it, and I will go by him for being technically accurate it should be called total recall but we all call it today total recall for whatever reason it just seems to sound better and that's kind of how it was marketed but total recall is what you will hear she said usually refer to it as now in demand after alien they knew that total recall would sell easily even if it had a weak third act Shesed and O'Bannon, they envisioned a futuristic film noir detective story. It would have a lot of Hitchcockian twists, and they infused it with a lot of James Bond-type action. Some adventure, some romance elements. Now, Dick's story provided the Mars setup. That was really the first third of this film, so it would make sense to continue the story on Mars if they could. But there was really nothing within the Philip K. Dick story that explained how you could get to Mars or what it might be like if you did get there. Now, in their first completed script that was done in 1980, Quail, the protagonist both of the Philip K. Dick story and in the screenplay, he was more of a Walter Mitty type. He was a menial government clerk with a modest life, but he had occasional big dreams of an exciting life on Mars. So after we go through a whole rip-roaring adventure with Quail, in which he turns into kind of an action hero, the big reveal toward the end is that he's not human. He's actually a synthetic replica that was made by ancient alien technology and that technology created him kind of a replica of a real life secret agent that was killed on mars now as a synthetic he couldn't die so the government of earth erased his memory instead and they had him live out his life as a common person and he achieves total recall when he finds this out and he decides to play god with his new realization that he is an invincible alien machine Chassette felt that this would work, but O'Bannon had major doubts about this story angle. He wanted something better than that. So these writers continued collaborating and trying to work out a better third act than that. But they were starting to burn out on the process, so they decided to keep funds coming in. They were going to revise a script for another film called Dead and Buried. Now, feeling like they'd never agree on a third act and still reeling from his prior experience of Alejandro Jodorowsky's failed attempt to adapt Dune in the mid-1970s, O'Bannon abandoned at that time Total Recall. Now, in 1981, Chassette he secured a development deal with Walt Disney Studios, with the script even in its kind of weaker form. Disney thought that they should get O'Bannon's dark star collaborator, John Carpenter, to be the director. Disney agreed to fund a hefty $22 million. That was a lot of money for 1981. And they assigned other writers to try to help Chassette come up with a better ending, because that was the weakest part of the whole story. Unfortunately, Disney found all of the ideas that these writers came up with unacceptable, and they put it, eventually, into turnaround. They weren't going to make the film. In 1982, Chassette decided he's going to buy the rights. And with those rights, he sold them to another filmmaker, Dino De Laurentiis. Now, Chassette's contract with De Laurentiis included protections for his story and an ongoing participation in development. He really had final say as to what was going to be in the screenplay. Now, as they tried to work things out, De Laurentiis told Chassette that the picture... It would probably go right to production if he just got rid of that mars finale he really couldn't make heads or tails of it he didn't understand it he said it was a dead end dino said he he could set it anywhere anywhere on earth preferably an explosive war film like rambo make it in hungary make it in poland wherever he wants just don't make it mars now she said it had to be on mars that was not negotiable this is where he wanted it to go now during this time arnold schwarzenegger was working on films for Dino De Laurentiis. He looked at other projects to try to complete his five-picture obligation with Dino after Conan the Barbarian, including Conan the Destroyer. Now, he was filming Commando in 1985, and he read the screenplay for Total Recall. He told Dino he really wanted to make that next. He loved it, but Dino said no. Now, he was a perfect actor to play Conan, but he was not some passive pushover. He really wasn't considered a great actor. He couldn't really play much more at least in Dino's eyes, than kind of a He-Man or some sort of robot, as he did in The Terminator. Dino wanted Jeff Bridges. That's who he really was going for. Dino insisted that Arnold, during this time, that the next movie he did for him would be called Triple Identity. It was later renamed to Raw Deal. Now, unfortunately, Jeff Bridges passed on doing Total Recall, and other top choices from Dino, like Christopher Reeve and Matthew Broderick, also were not really that interested. So... Schwarzenegger still despite being turned down kept tabs on what was happening with Total Recall he offered Dino advice from time to time he recommended hiring a director that had an eye for futuristic sci-fi films Dino was of the opinion that it really didn't matter he was churning through these journeyman directors like Richard Rush who was let go because he told Dino that the Mars ending should stay Dino didn't like that Fred Skepsi who rewrote the script and it was more of a psychological drama than it was an action movie which Dino really did not want to do either and Louis T who happened to have done cat's eye for dino in 1985 now schwarzenegger felt dino had really no knowledge of how good of a movie that total recall might be if it was in the right hands so he determined he should try to get it from him if he could a couple of years later while he was working on predator he was thinking about wanting to do total recall and arnold asked super producer joel silver who was responsible for predator to try to see if he could buy it from dino but it was to no avail. Now, Dino did hire a visionary director, eventually, David Cronenberg. Cronenberg was set to direct this. He was really at the helm. This was as close as he had gotten to actually pushing this forward. He was going to direct at Dino Cita, Dino's studio outside of Rome. But Cronenberg felt that the script really did not work. It seemed like two movie ideas that weren't really meshing. So he decided that he needed to rewrite this script And during that time, he removed a lot of the second half to expand on Dick's original story. He really took Philip K. Dick's original story and made it much more psychological and he padded it out to almost a feature length. Now, Cronenberg, when he started doing this, he started butting heads with Chuset over these changes. She said, insisted that the tone should be a fun adventure. It was supposed to be Raiders of the Lost Ark on Mars. It was not supposed to be this dark and brooding future with a lot of internal struggles from the main character. Now, while they were doing this, the distributor, at that time it was MGM they started to hold up financing because Total Recall, it still didn't have a star. It still didn't have an approved script. It really wasn't moving forward and they weren't going to continue to pay more and more for additional development on the script. So Cronenberg, he started to move forward. He wanted to get an actor on board that was going to anchor it. William Hurt was the person that he saw as Quail, but Dino, who was working on this himself, he landed Richard Dreyfus. Now, Dreyfus, when he came in, he wanted Quail to be an everyman throughout the entire film, not some wimp that turns into an action hero. He wanted it to be what worked for him in other films like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, somebody that the audience could identify with as he goes along this wild ride. So they were the script again with that in mind and they introduced during this time a plot twist very similar to a film that dreyfus would end up doing in 1988 called moon over parador quail here is revealed to be a lookalike for the dictator who rules earth that cohagan the bad guy schemes to replace after vanquishing cohagan quail assumes the dictator role with melina joining him for the end Now, everybody was satisfied with the way that this new script was going, except for one person, one person who actually worked on that script, David Cronenberg. He wanted a whole new approach when they were done, one that he later compared to his downbeat 2002 film called Spider. He used a lot of ideas that he meant for Total Recall for that film. He made Quayle a schizophrenic who is physically mutated with each internal change. Now, Dino despised all of this. He didn't want to get into all that yucky business. And he told them to go back with what they had agreed to do with Richard Dreyfus. Now, after 13 revisions, all of them seemingly not acceptable either to him or to Dino, Cronenberg decided he was leaving the project. He realized that he and Dino were just not interested in making the same movie. So after Dino threatened a lawsuit, if he left, Cronenberg appeased him by promising he would do another movie for him down the road, which unfortunately never happened. Now, Dreyfus. He had grown tired of waiting for things to settle down here, and he left shortly afterward. Now, in 1986, Russell Mulcahy, the director of Highlander, he agreed to direct while Chassette revised with his King Kong Lives collaborator, Stephen Pressfield. Pressfield was responsible for devising a new ending that involved the terraforming of Mars. Mulcahy, though, he started to get more interested in doing Rambo 3. There was much more of an appeal there for him. So Dino offered total recall again to David Cronenberg, and he promised him they could do it his way. But Cronenberg, by that point, had lost all interest in fighting the same battles with Dino. He did not necessarily take him at his word that it was going to be completely his way. So Dino then hired Bruce Beresford, who reworked the Chassette Pressfield script with help from script doctors like Michael Almereda. The filming location, though, at that point moved to Queensland in Australia, where De Laurentiis was building his first studio because there were a lot of good tax incentives there. The budget, though, went from $15 million to $28 million, potentially making it the most expensive Australian production to date, if they managed to actually make the film. Now, after Mel Gibson passed as the star, Mark Harmon started to express interest, but then he backed out after Dino was really negotiating with him. So Beresford and his producer, Sue Milliken, they suggested that Sam Neill would be the perfect person to play quail but Dino said no 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 he never heard of Sam Neill he didn't think he was somebody who could anchor a big budget motion picture like this so Tom Berenger was asked but he was busy Mickey Rourke also passed as did Jeff Bridges a second time Richard Dreyfuss he said he might come back but he was shooting Moon over Parador in Brazil Dino finally consented, because everybody was turning it down, to screen test Sam Neill. Now, Sam Neill performed well in that screen test, but Dino just could not commit to somebody who was unknown outside of Australia. They really were going to take a big chance. Willem Dafoe, Tom Sillick, they both passed. And after he was done in Brazil, Richard Dreyfuss was available, but he dashed their hopes, again, by declining. Now, it wasn't until Beresford's suggestion of Patrick Swayze that an actor Dino found acceptable said yes. Beresford, with Patrick Swayze as the star, promised that Total Recall would be a fun but very classy, spoofy, satirical, Spielbergian adventure. It was going to be a rip-roaring time at the movies. Sets were being built. Things were finally coming together for the film. But two weeks away from the shoot beginning in late 1987, the brakes slammed down on Beresford's version. De La was filing for bankruptcy, too many bad movies not making enough money. Although independently financed with Australian money, the loss in confidence in De Laurentiis and his studio caused the stock for Australia's offshoot De Laurentiis Entertainment Limited to plummet, and it effectively killed all financing and it ended all chance of continuing. Now in January of 1988, after making Red Heat for Carolco Pictures, Schwarzenegger learned that DEG was in dire financial straits. So he called Dino on the phone to confirm that he was going to be willing to sell Total Recall. Now, as it carried seven million dollars in turnaround fees, Schwarzenegger knew that it wasn't going to be easy to get another film studio to want to pay that price up front for a screenplay that had been kicking around to the point where it was almost a laughing stock. So, Schwarzenegger did call up co-founder of Carolco, Mario Casar, and he told him make a lowball bid on this. He thought Dino was desperate enough to give it up for less than that. So, Casar ended up getting it for only three million dollars. Now, Schwarzenegger already knew the director that he wanted if he was going to proceed forward with this film, because a few months earlier, Schwarzenegger was dining at the same Beverly Hills restaurant as Paul Verhoeven, the director of RoboCop, and he had a mutual friend introduce him. Schwarzenegger, in the five or ten minute conversation, told Verhoeven that he thought his style of visual filmmaking perfectly matched what he wanted to achieve with his own action movies. And after dinner, Verhoeven's wife suggested Paul do his next movie with Schwarzenegger, which... Verhoeven thought was an interesting, albeit very abstract, possibility. Schwarzenegger called Verhoeven the day after Karolko secured the rights, and he had Karolko send the most recent script over. Now, Verhoeven at this time wanted a break from effects-heavy films like Robocop, but he was curious as to why Arnold was so excited over Total Recall. So he decided to read the script, and he got to the scene about midway through. It involves a doctor from Recall Incorporated entering the story— to tell Quayle he's living out a simulation, not really real life. And if he didn't wake up now, he was going to be lost forever in his dream. When Verhoven read that, he was sold. This was to him. A great story, independent of its effects. A Hitchcockian mystery with psychological suspense, a lot like North by Northwest, he thought, and unique metaphysical implications. Verhoeven waived his opportunity to do the next film that he was looking at, Black Rain from Michael Douglas, and he signed on to Total Recall for about 2 or $3 million in fees. Meanwhile, Schwarzenegger secured to star in Total Recall $10 million plus 15% of the gross as well as approval for the director, the script, the cast, and the marketing choices. Now, Chissette didn't even know about all of this going on. He heard about the deal from Ridley Scott, who he had been courting to direct on the hope that he could resurrect this dead screenplay somehow. Chassette was very excited to learn that Verhoeven was going to be the director. His film Soldier of Orange was a favorite of Chassette's from the early 1980s. Now, Kuroko had to honor Chassette's pre existing agreement with Dino. It came over as part of the deal, but a six month long writer's guilt strike prevented Chassette from involvement in the early key decisions. Verhoeven, during this time, he started to pour through 45 of the script revisions with Chassette's name on them, and he found that none of them resolved the third act issue. So he decided he needed a fresh approach, and he brought in Gary Goldman. Ironically, Goldman, he once turned down doing a polish on Total Recall to work with Verhoeven on a never-made Warner Brothers project called Warrior, schwarzinger insisted though chassette needed to remain involved because he wanted to keep that original vision going although he was uncomfortable with verhoeven's strong language and violence chassette did feel welcomed during the process now by Verhoeven's request, Goldman started to do what he felt were essential rewrites. Quail was rewritten to fit Schwarzenegger in his personality because he, nobody was going to buy him as some sort of mousy accountant. Verhoeven also didn't like the fact that it turned into a big action movie in the second half of the film. He wanted to continue a lot of those mind-bending twists that he fell in love with on Identity during the first half. Verhoeven also wanted it to remain ambiguous all the way to the very last frame as to whether Quail's adventure is real, or if it's merely the fabricated fantasy. Goldman also came up with some new twists of his own, including Quayle's true identity being that of someone named Hauser, a bad guy who erased his brain to ensure no pre-knowledge before this assassination he needed to do, of a psychic named Quato who would be able to read his mind if it wasn't already erased. The hero eventually finds this out and has to choose who he really is Or to continue living in this fabricated identity. Now Verhoeven also wanted some things taken out. He wanted the ancient alien technology aspects removed. But Chassette insisted that it had to remain. In this disagreement, Schwarzenegger sided with Chassette. The alien technology stuff was going to remain on condition that Goldman be allowed to restructure it to work better within the course of the film. They renamed Quayle to Quaid. They wanted to avoid comparisons to America's new incoming vice president, Dan Quayle, for a variety of reasons. One other complaint from Chissette and Arnold was that the screenplay lacked an emotional payoff at the end. So Goldman developed another angle where Cohagen shuts off the air to Venusville and people that we've come to know and like might end up dying if that goes through. Now, the final story, as we see it on the screen, is set 100 years in Earth's future. This is a time when Earth has colonies on Mars. Douglas Quaid, he's a construction worker, that was changed for Arnie, plagued by recurring dreams of being on Mars. Now, his wife tells Doug it's just a dream, but he's insatiably curious, seeing an advertisement for a company called Recall Incorporated, an establishment that implants the memory of a vacation into the mind of their customers in vivid detail. Doug decides to choose the package going to Mars, but as a secret agent, an all-new thing that they have going on. You can be anybody you want to be there. Now, before implanted thoughts enter his head, Doug finds himself in a real-life espionage drama involving a Martian underground society of spies seeking to end the stranglehold of a megalomaniac named Cohagen, who's a corrupt politician controlling the air that all Mars residents depend upon. Now, fighting for his life, Doug ventures to Mars to uncover his identity, but not everything's what it seems, both on Mars and in his mind. Now Verhoeven initially scoffed at shooting in Mexico City because it was going to be cheaper to make the film there, but once he and most of his RoboCop crew that he brought along arrived there, he was delightfully surprised at the retro-futuristic Mexican architecture there called New Brutalism, lots of concrete, little windows. He felt it worked very well for his vision of the future, However, Verhoeven did not enjoy the smog there or the bouts of Montezuma's revenge, which caused severe dehydration and exhaustion. He lost over 25 pounds by the end of the total recall shoot. The constant illnesses necessitated having a full-time doctor on staff and an ambulance there on the set at all times. The doctor is said to have seen about 22 people, on average, every day working on that film. Now, for The Look of Mars, production designer William Sandel, he visited scientific institutions and universities, researching how humans could live on other planets. Specifically, he obtained NASA designs for potential space colonies that they had drawn up for Mars. They recreated what they envisioned they would look like across ten sound stages in Churubusco Studios in Mexico. The crew worked every day for over nine months to try to get the film done as fast as they could. Now in the film, due to pollution and contamination, people near the Turbinium mining facilities on Mars develop deformities and other genetic mutations that affect their appearance in very grotesque ways. So the makeup effects were done here by Rob Bottin, and he was given free reign to make the mutants as weird and wacky as he wanted. He really went to town, especially on Quato, who resides in the torso of another man's body. Now when it was done by Cronenberg, he was supposed to be on his upper back, but they changed a few things over the years. Quato took 15 puppeteers to control. The visual effects team was very well-regarded. In fact, they won a Special Achievement Academy Award for their work on Total Recall that balanced practical effects with early examples of CG components. Now, Kuroko grew upset when Verhoeven started to run behind schedule, but Schwarzenegger defended his director. He stated that Kuroko's schedule was absolutely unrealistic due to the complexity of the hundred plus blue screenshots, Verhoeven also demanded multiple takes because he just wasn't going to settle for good enough to move on. Kuroko really didn't have a lot of leverage here. They could only grin and bear the director's perfectionist ways. They hoped that he was making the best choices with their money. In fact, the production went so over schedule that they skipped test screenings. They just put their faith in Verhoeven's vision that he knew what he was doing. Now, the end price for Total Recall, it was really sky high. It went anywhere from $48 million to $73 million, depending on your source. That upper amount would make it the most expensive film made to that time. Now, Schwarzenegger, when it came to marketing, he was very much in tune with how much this movie was going to make. I mean, he had 15% stake in the gross, so he called Peter Goober, the co-chair of Sony Pictures Entertainment. They had recently acquired TriStar Pictures, who were distributing the film. Schwarzenegger told Goober the trailer was no good after discovering that audience interest for Total Recall before it came out was not tracking well with the trailer that they had. He had Goober watch the movie with him and then the trailer... And Goober agreed, the trailer was just not selling it right. The film looked like a $100 million film. The trailer made it look like a $20 million film. So Schwarzenegger told Goober that they needed to redo the trailers and the ads, and they needed an experienced outside company. TriStar did not know what they were doing. Now, after narrowing it down, they went out to bid to the best choice. The new marketing blitz turned a film that was tracking from mediocre 40% people who wanted to see it to 90 plus percent, one of the must-see movies of the summer, And when it came out, it broke the record for the best opening week for a non-sequel movie to that date. It made $120 million in the United States in total and a hefty $140 million on top of that in international markets for a total of $260 million in returns. Whether it's $48 or $73 million to make, it still made its money back and it placed as the fifth highest grossing film of 1990. Now, critical reception at the time, it was kind of mixed. A lot of critics complained that it had gratuitous violence. It had grotesque carnage. They were really turned off by a lot of what they saw here, misogynist attitudes and too much cussing and all of that other stuff that critics in the moment tend to deride. Total Recall, though, now is regarded by many as one of the best science fiction films of its era. And I tend to agree with that. I love watching this movie. I can watch it infinite amount of times and still enjoy it just as much. Now, from outward appearances, Total Recall seems like another brain-dead action vehicle for Arnie to just blow everything up, and he certainly does that in the course of this movie, but that's really just scratching the surface of what makes this film such a must-see for all science fiction and action movie junkies. It's really clever, it's very thoughtful, it's very absorbing and exhilarating in all the right ways. It delivers all of the goods that you could possibly want and then gives you more than that. So Verhoeven really pulls out all stops here in this very ultra-violent and action-packed roller coaster. I don't think it ever lets up for a second. It was originally slapped, as I mentioned earlier, with an X rating, but they scaled back four overly graphic scenes of violence in particular that the MPAA thought were a little too much for their tastes. And despite the fact that they didn't have any preview screenings to retool the film, it is still very tightly edited. It's always moving forward. It has more than a few nifty twists to keep the plot mercurial enough to be fascinating throughout. The violence, yes, it is gratuitous. It is quite graphic. But like with RoboCop, if you could stomach RoboCop, I think you could definitely stomach what happens in Total Recall. The humor does temper its gruesomeness. In fact, it's so gruesome, sometimes you have to laugh at it because it's so excessive. The scenes with humans exposed to the airless environs of Mars, they're ridiculously overdone. I mean, you can't help but laugh when this is going on, even though there's people dying on the screen. But, you know, if you take in the fantastical nature of the presentation, I think it's disingenuous to kind of nitpick about a few inconsistencies in physics and logic. In fact, physics is basically something that Paul Verhoeven has a degree in. So he knows all about that, but he knows it doesn't matter for the purpose of making an entertaining movie. Now, if you're not squeamish about that aforesaid heavy violence, I think Total Recall I would give it a high recommendation for all action and science fiction fans. I can't imagine that anybody who loves those genres has not seen Total Recall. So I think for most people, I do think I'm speaking to the choir here. But if you're not somebody who's seen it yet, I do definitely encourage it. As long as you know the violence is extremely strong and kind of gory in certain ways. You may not be able to take a trip to Mars in real life. But after watching Total Recall, I think the memory of living out an adventure as a secret agent in a world full of danger is well worth the film's price whether renting or streaming or what have you, to implant into your brain. And that's why I'm giving Total Recall four stars out of four. Four stars on my scale means that I think that this is an excellent film. It delivers all of the goods you want and even more than that. It's smart. It's funny. It's gratuitous. But yet it's so rich in so many details I watch this film all the time and I am always noticing new little things. It's just a very well put together fun ride. And that is why I can't give it anything less than four stars out of four. Now before I go today I do want to mention that there was some continuation Total Recall was a big hit so of course sequels were going to result. In 1993 Gary Goldman he bought the rights to Philip K. Dick's another story of his called Minority Report. And he asked Verhoeven to executive produce that. And Verhoeven, he suggested reworking it as a sequel to Total Recall instead of its own thing. And he would direct it if he did that. So Goldman obliged. However, Ronald Chassette, in his contract, his all-powerful contract that gave him so many ties in to Total Recall, he had contractual rights for involvement if there was a Total Recall sequel made. And he worked on the first draft with Gary Goldman. But Kuroko, who was going to be working on this film, They went bankrupt in 1995, and then the property went to Fox, where the tie-ins to Total Recall eventually were removed, and that left it pretty much dead as a Total Recall sequel, although eventually Minority Report came out as a movie of its own, of course, with Tom Cruise and directed by Steven Spielberg. Many years later, in 1997, Dimension Films, they paid $3 million for the film sequel rights to Total Recall. Chassette and Goldman, they wrote a whole new screenplay, but Schwarzenegger said it was way too complicated when they read it to him and he passed even though it was very well regarded. Now in 1999 there was a TV show that appeared called Total Recall 2070. It was not a sequel. It was not kind of a prequel. It was just kind of different stories that were based on a lot of the same ideas. It appeared on Canadian television as well as Showtime and had different characters than Total Recall. So it was kind of for fans who liked that world but they weren't necessarily tied in with the characters from Total Recall. In 2011 uh, Columbia Pictures did release uh pg-13 reboot with colin farrell and len Weisman was the director and it pretty much did not do very much people didn't want to see a pg-13 film the people who made this movie did not know why people enjoyed total recall so much it wasn't for a toned down story they like arnold they like verhoeven they like this craziness all of that was excised for this and people just did not come out to see it and the people that did see it did not have the same fervor for it either so most people tend to even forget it came out Anyway, that's it for my look at Total Recall. If you have your own thoughts on Total Recall, you can write to me. You can find my contact information at my website. Let me know what you think about Total Recall. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. All of the links are there at my site, Quipster.net. Now, next week, I'm going to be looking at a film from 1981. It stars Sean Connery, Peter Boyle, Francis Sternhagen. It's set on a moon that is orbiting Jupiter. I.O. to be exact kind of a space western kind of a remake of high noon if you want to say it is called outland it came out in 1981 and that will be the film i cover on next episode so check that out if you haven't seen it yet until then thank you so much for joining me on this trip or is it a trip maybe it's just an implant memory in your mind around the world in 80s movies